Hi, everybody. Welcome to Not Another Wellness Podcast. You're listening to Natalie Dellinger and Bridger's birth story. So, so long overdue. Bridger is almost eight months old, but I knew in the hospital that I wanted to record his birth story to share with the world and also to share for myself. So here it is in its glory and length. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, it's Natalie Dellinger, and today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Bridger's birth story. This is so long overdue, and it's something I've been wanting to share since I was in the hospital going through labor. And to preface this, to give a little bit of a trigger warning, the birth story that I'm about to share is long. It is not Instagram post worthy. It wouldn't even fit in an Instagram post because of its length. It's not what I had planned. It's not what you should expect will happen to you. Just know that everyone's birth story is super unique to them. Every baby is born uniquely into this world. And I've learned a ton about birth since Bridger was born. And I learned a few things that I would have liked to have happened. um, I would like to have done differently and um, could have altered some of the outcomes. So I'm going to share that all today. So let's just get into it. It's a long story, so I'm going to try and retell it as accurately as I can and also in a way that, again, not to scare anybody or make you think that all births look like this because they really, really don't Um, and they don't have to. So let's just jump into it. Um, The last or two episodes ago, I shared about pregnancy. It was not a time where I felt particularly good. I didn't feel like I was thriving. I didn't feel glowing. So I just, you know, was going to go in through the motions. And towards the end of the pregnancy, I felt like getting around was starting to get hard. You know, you're carrying around a full-size baby and all of this amniotic fluid and about 50% more blood than you had before you got pregnant. So you're just your, your body's different, you know, and you have to learn to love it for what it's doing. The most amazing part about it is towards the end there, you realize that basically any day the baby could come. And so there's this feeling of anticipation and anxiety and excitement because pretty much any time after 36, 37 weeks, babies can be born um, kind of spontaneously and will be healthy enough to kind of go home and not need any additional care in the NICU as if they were um, if they were born earlier, like preterm babies, I think, are before 36 weeks. So anyway, you just know that your days as a pregnant person are numbered, and it's really exciting and really scary. <laughs> so towards the end, we went to our 38, 37-week appointment. So 40 weeks is a full term of pregnancy. Although the due date is really just an estimation. They calculate the due date based on when your last menstrual cycle started. So it's just a guess. Um, The date itself is not something you should focus on as like, oh my God, the baby's not here on time. Um, Babies come when they're ready. That's something I've learned. And they don't always come on the due date. In fact, I think it's like five, three or 5% of babies are actually born on the due date. Most of them are late for first time moms. um, But then a lot of babies are born early. Anyways, 38, seven weeks, everything was going well. Um, They said, hey, do you want to come back at 38 weeks? Um, 
we said yes. We went back for 38 weeks, no complications, nothing. Everything looked really healthy. Baby was head down, so they thought. I had been doing a ton of positioning exercises to keep Bridger heads down as much as one has that in their power. I was swimming and I was going to see the chiropractor who focused on prenatal and postpartum chiropractic care and baby care, which is super cool. If you can find that in your area, I highly recommend it just helps you feel really good. And they create space in the pelvis for that baby um, to drop down properly. I was doing acupuncture, um, which is supposed to help also with positioning and just overall feelings of stress and anxiety towards the end there. And what else am I doing? And there's something called the Meyer circuit or spinning babies, which are these essentially yoga poses that you can get into to help keep the body open and keep the baby in a good position. So I was doing all the things. Everything was going well. I was starting to get really excited. I've been manifesting this birth, you know, for almost 10 months at this point, doing a lot of prep, which I'll share in another episode, Um, affirmations, taking baths, just really making the most of it. And we knew that this baby was going to come and it was going to change everything, but we had no idea how much. So we were just trying to make the most of it, going out to dinner, doing takeout where it was in the middle of COVID, um, going on little weekend trips, just trying to do as much as I could um, while pregnant. So 39 week appointment comes and the appointment starts pretty normal. They say, you know, here's when you should come in to see us. Here's what labor is going to feel like. Here's how close your contractions will be when you can call us and let us know. And here's when you should come in. At this point, I was planning to have a baby, have a baby, have Bridger at the birth center of Boulder, which I was really excited about, which is a standalone birth center with nurse midwives who all have worked in hospitals before, but have left the hospital setting for various reasons, which I'll get into in another episode and choose to birth at these freestanding birth centers. The difference between a hospital birth and a birth center is that birth centers are for low-risk births, and you don't have the option for um, an epidural at a birth center, but you have more flexibility in terms of where you can birth. Um, The hospital in our area would not allow for water births, whereas the birth center allowed for water births. And then you were birthing with midwives, and there's no obstetricians on site, but if something happens, they would obviously transfer you to the hospital, which was really close down the road. Birth centers sometimes are attached to hospitals, but now I'm giving you too much detail about this. I think I'm going to talk more about this in another episode. So we go to the 39-week appointment. They start saying, you know, you're probably going to be late. Most first-time mamas are late, Um, and everything was fine. You know, we were just asking questions and And towards the end of the appointment, the midwife came in and took my blood pressure. And this is where the story really starts. So I'm going to take a deep breath here. Take one with me. I notice when I retell this story that I get anxious. And that's that's exactly how I felt in the moment when it was happening. So she took my blood pressure And she said, hey, would you sit up for me? Put your feet on the floor. I want to get a better reading. Took it again. And this is from what I remember of this conversation. She said, you know, I'm going to bring you some water. I'm going to come back in five to ten minutes, and we're going to recheck one more time. The thing that's alarming me is that your blood pressure is reading high. And it could lead to some serious complications that we take very seriously here 
So let's try again. And, um, you know, I'm going to talk to you about what's going to happen if, if your blood pressure is still reading high. So I want you to take deep breaths. Just relax as much as you can. Now, when someone tells you to relax, <laughs> um, the opposite thing happens. But I was really doing my best to breathe and just not read into the potential risk that she had shared. And I didn't know what the risk was at the time. I didn't understand what she was saying. So I was thinking this isn't going to be a problem. You know, she's just going to tell me this was a risk, but I'm going to be fine because through the course of my pregnancy, everything was fine. <laughs> I mean, I tested negative. I didn't have gestational diabetes, which is a thing that's very common for women. And I didn't have GBS, which is a bacteria in the vagina that can affect the baby more or less. So it's just another little thing you'd have to um, consider and plan for during labor. But I didn't have either of those, which is so nice. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. She comes back in, checks my blood pressure, and it's still reading high. And she explains to me that they're going to draw some blood. They're going to do a urine sample. And they're going to check to see if I had preeclampsia or not. Now, let me pause here, and I'm going to Google preeclampsia so I can give you a proper little, um, okay, here we go. So preeclampsia is a pregnancy complication characterized by high blood pressure and signs of damage to another organ system. Most often the liver and kidneys. Preeclampsia usually begins after 30 weeks of pregnancy in women whose blood pressure has been normal and symptoms are weight gain, edema, hypertension, and the risk factors are kidney disease, vitamin D deficiency, dot, dot, dot bad things can happen <laughs> is basically the, the long and short of it. So I had an acupuncture, acupuncture appointment that afternoon, right after my appointment. So I went in sobbing and the acupuncturist did such a good job at calming me down. And she said, you know what, this is going to be fine. This is going to be great. You're going to be relaxed. They're going to check you again tonight and you're not, you, everything's going to go fine. Like, don't you worry. And I really appreciated that at the time because I just needed someone to tell me it was going to be okay, right? Like I didn't know what was happening or what this all meant, but it was scary to hear that you had a complication that could affect you and or baby. Um, and that what she said was, um, if your blood test and your urine test comes back positive for preeclampsia, you will be going to the hospital that tonight at 39 weeks to get induced. Um, as you can imagine, someone who had done a lot of planning and thinking about birth, this came as a huge gut, <laughs> gut punch, or it just felt like the, the choices that I had made, the preparation I had done was in my head going out the window because I really didn't want an induction birth. I wanted a natural birth. I wanted it to start on its own. I wanted to birth in the tub. Like I had all these ideas and visions for what I wanted to look like. And I wasn't familiar with the hospital setting. I had planned the birth center birth, right? So it just meant that things were going to look very differently than what I had planned. Um, one of the things I've learned now is that it's super helpful to make a very detailed birth plan that includes things that you don't plan for, right? Like includes things that here's what I want my birth to look like if it's not at my desired location. Here's my, here are my options. I understand 
what are, what's going to be presented to me. I understand the different settings or the different um, procedures. And I have, you have choices in the matter. And that is something I didn't know going in. And again, I think I'm going to deep dive more into what I learned in another episode. So because I'm getting ahead of myself, let me just go back to the birth story. <laughs> I did acupuncture. I was still working at this time, so I went home, laid in bed, and really tried to rest. You know, like, when you have high blood pressure, you actually don't feel it, right? It's not like your pulse is really high, which you can usually feel if you feel your heartbeat. I just didn't feel any different, and it was just really strange to me that my blood pressure was reading high, but I felt totally fine. So I just laid in bed. I called my mom, sobbing, telling her what was going on. I think she thought, like, the baby had... Okay, I shouldn't joke about that. I think she thought something really serious had happened, which it had, but, um, you know, I was okay, and they were going to take care of me. (laughs) And all in all, it really wasn't the end of the world, but it felt kind of like that to me. So I went back into the birth center about 5 p.m., or maybe it was 6 p.m. I had eaten eggplant parm that's from this restaurant in town that's supposed to help induce labor because we were joking, like, maybe I can go into labor naturally um, tonight and not have to do the induction, not have to do all the medical procedures. Um, It didn't work, by the way. But the eggplant parm was a delicious last meal to have at home before hospital food. So if this happens to you, have a great meal. Have a plan that you can order, take take out on the go um, so that you show up and you can have a really tasty meal. Um, I went back to the birth center with a full packed bag for the hospital, thinking I was going to stay maybe one or two days. So I packed um, some clothes and some toiletries. We dropped our dog off at a friend's house and basically said, we'll see you, you know, in a few days. Went into the hospital, got tested for covid Luckily, didn't have COVID. And the medical intervention just kind of started from there. I had an IV placed into my arm. Um, I met the midwives who were working at the hospital. They called me the birth center transfer, which I really didn't appreciate. <laughs> but um, they knew that this it wasn't my ideal location to birth. And they knew induction wasn't part of my plan. So they kind of treated me, um, you know, we're sorry this happened to you. But, like, we got to take care of you, basically. They tested my blood pressure every 20 minutes for the first 24 hours. Just think about that. Every 20 minutes, I had a blood pressure cuff going off on my arm. By the time I left the hospital, I was bruised on my right arm just from that cuff squeezing it for days. Anyway, I started the induction process. Induction is when you put in different drugs, essentially, into the body that mimic the natural hormones of labor. And what the goal, the hope is that with a little bit of assistance, medical assistance, the body will, because I was 39 weeks anyway, the body will take over and labor will just happen on its own. So I won't need to go through the full medical labor. Started with a pill that they, or powder that they put under my tongue. I honestly can't even remember the first night of the hospital. It just feels really blurry. This is like a Thursday night. I couldn't sleep at all. I heard this lady giving birth in the room next to me and she was screaming you guys it was so terrifying she was clearly pushing and the baby came out but like I could hear her just moaning and yelling and it sounded so scary 
So we brought a sound machine. I would highly recommend bringing a sound machine that turns up really loud because it's just not really something you want to like overhear when you're about to go through it. Like hearing someone screaming, uh, that was giving us nightmares. Like I was just, I was texting my mom the whole time telling her that I could hear this lady giving birth. And I was just like, no, this is not, this is not fun. It just scared me. I think like hearing her go through it scared me a little. Water break. Okay. Wow. This is taking me forever to get through. It's a long story quickly. Okay. The middle of the night, Thursday night happens and they come in and they're saying the baby is not doing that well. So we're not going to give you the third dose of this medicine that was starting to contract my uterus, starting to thin it out. And, um, I was a little uncomfortable, but this was definitely the easiest night. However, they had a really hard time finding Bridger's heart rate. So I had two monitors on my belly, one to measure contractions and the other to measure baby's heart rate. And, um, we later know now because of his positioning, it was really hard for them to find and maintain a heartbeat. And they want to track the baby's heartbeat to see how the baby is tolerating the contractions to make sure the baby is not distressed or yeah. And he wasn't happy. <laughs> his mama wasn't happy and he wasn't happy. So they did not give me the third dose of that. They waited to the morning. I probably slept 20 minute intervals the whole night because they kept coming in to check my blood pressure and then also move the monitors around. And I was just like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> it really sucks when you just want to sleep and you can't because you are being fully monitored. And obviously it's for the health and safety of you and baby, but it's just frustrating. I had not made any progress from this first phase of induction. <sighs> so meaning the most painful thing ever, which to me is a cervical exam, resulted in, um, yeah, that the first dose of those drugs overnight didn't do much. So they decided to ramp things up and start me on Pitocin, which is the most commonly known drug for induction or just drug that they use in labor sometimes, which contracts the uterus for you. Basically, it's the hormone that your body would naturally produce to contract the uterus, but the only difference is it's artificial and it's intense. It mimics the body's natural movements, but because it's medically induced, it oftentimes results in quick, um, more intense, more close together contractions. So, Oh, the Pitocin was tough, you guys. This was all day Friday. I was told I wasn't allowed to eat, which is another thing I've learned uh, about my rights, which was really hard. Adam was sneaking me little pieces of food, and I had learned that food is so important during labor. It is, right? Because your body is, like, going through this big thing, and, like, to not eat during it just is a really outdated hospital policy that needs to change. So that is another thing to look into. But I, I, I listened to them, you know, like I was a patient. I, I wanted things to go well. I wanted my body to do, to pick up and start labor on its own. So I did, I think like eight hours of this Pitocin all day contracting. Adam was a freaking champ. We're going to do another episode about partner support 
But man, he was helping me every second of each contraction for the entire day, sneaking me food, um, just being so supportive. I just couldn't have done it without him. I truly feel for the women that had to birth at the beginning of COVID and didn't have their support person or support, yeah, doula or something. He was just incredible. Um, big shout out to Adam for just being a trooper. It was a long day after not sleeping and not eating. You can imagine that when they came in at like five or six or seven, I don't know, to check me again, the worst thing in the world, the cervical exam, um, what they're doing is checking how dilated your cervix is. Your dilated is closed um, during pregnancy, during everyday life. But as you go into labor, the, the sensations that you feel that are the contractions, if they're natural, is the opening the pulling up of that muscle, that big, strong uterine muscle, the badass that she is. Mine did not move an inch after this. Okay, we're at 24 hours now. And I'm like, come on, body. Like I was doing my meditations and my affirmations. I'm like in the groove. I'm like, please, let's just like get the show on the road. You know, let's, I want to get this baby out of here. A few times during this, Bridger's heart rate decelled a little bit, so they had to pull back on how much Pitocin they were giving me, which is totally normal, right? Like, we're basically evicting him, and he wasn't necessarily ready. So they don't always love these, these intense contractions, especially not medically induced ones. Anyway, I didn't love it either. It was really, it was really mentally, mentally taxing. Um, they tried a third method. They came in and gave me two options overnight on Friday. At this point, I'm just my morale is. is is taking a hit, right? And there's no progress. It felt like I all that was done for nothing. And they want to try this thing that they described to me as a balloon in my uterus. And I was like, uh, no, like I don't want that thing in there. Apparently it's really effective, but I chose a different option. It was like this string with like medication that was supposed to ripen the cervix, thin it out so it could open better that they tied to my leg and like, I don't know, I just had gnarly contractions the whole night. I was trying to let Adam sleep, but I like couldn't get comfortable and it was just tough. Inductions are hard. Like it's just hard. The whole thing felt really hard. And again, I really don't want to scare you. You can get through literally anything. You're, you're very resilient. You're a woman. You're a badass. If you're hearing this and this scares you, just know that this does not have to be what your story looks like. And the position that Bridger was in was so unique and special and it's not going to happen to you. So just don't worry about that. Also, there are there is pain medication available if this happens to you. I was just really, really stubborn. So day three, Saturday, at this point, I'm just like a depleted balloon. I'm just dead. I haven't slept for two nights. I haven't eaten in like 24 hours. I'm just beat. You know, like I just was so tired of being poked and prodded and them telling me I wasn't making any progress, you know, and the whole night, um, that third type of induction they did Friday night, they checked me, I think they gave me a break, which was really great. And the afternoon of Saturday, a new midwife came in and, um, she was like, she checked and she said, you know, I don't want to focus on the number. <laughs> That's when I knew I had made zero progress still. She's like, I don't want to stress you out by the number. I think we're moving in the right direction. We're going to try this balloon thing, you know? And I was just like crying out for help at that point. I just, I was like, can I have a C-section? Can you get this baby out? You know? Um, 
I don't recommend doing that. Well, <laughs> they didn't either. They brought the OB in and she was like, no, you know, it's going to take a while. Like, keep going. So, oh, that was like the hardest part for me. I was like screaming to pleading them to get the baby out. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was just so tired. And I felt so trapped at the hospital. And I'm just being real and honest. Like, this is how I felt. It's, I'm not proud of it. I'm not, I'm a little bit ashamed, (laughs) ashamed of like how hard this was because I just, I'd never gone through something as hard as this. And so to me, this was the hardest, the ultimate hard thing that I've ever gone through. And it just broke me, you guys. Like, I just didn't have the tools to get through it. And I didn't have the mental preparation. I didn't have the patience, really. So, let's see. I feel like I missed some things. This is Saturday afternoon. So, we're going on 48 hours. Um, Yeah, they denied the C-section request, which made sense to me. But I was just frustrated because I I just felt like nothing was going to work. And I felt like Bridger was not doing well and he wasn't. He was having um, difficulty with the contractions. I just felt like there has to be a better way. And like, there has to be an end in sight, right? Like, when is this baby coming? Like, seriously. So they um, put me in the bathtub with some candles. This was like my favorite part. I, at this point, was contracting on my own and bleeding a little bit, which is usually a sign that things are progressing. But So I got in the bathtub with the candles and the essential oils and I like laid there and I tried to get comfortable because contractions were still happening. They'd taken me off everything at this point because I just wanted to like figure out what was going to work and not stress Bridger too much. And then midwife came in and checked on me and she said, you know, you're doing a really good job. Like this is, this is really intense and I know it's taking longer than you'd like and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, that this is what happened. I know this isn't your plan. And I know that you wanted to have the birth center birth and, you know, you didn't expect to have preeclampsia. I guess I haven't really talked about the preeclampsia part. My blood pressure stayed high the whole time, but it never spiked to the point where I needed to be treated. There is, um, there are severe preeclampsia cases where you need to be treated with magnesium the whole time. And I'm very, very grateful that I didn't have a severe, severe preeclampsia. That, that is when your preeclampsia is really severe. Sometimes it just means you have a C-section because the time and the time that you, your body is under that much stress could lead to more complications that could be life-threatening, right? So luckily for me, my preeclampsia was not life-threatening at this point, but they were taking it very seriously. I get out of the tub after about two hours, and the contractions are really getting intense, and I'm like, okay, this is this is happening. Like, we're going to have this baby soon. And the nurse kind of looks over to me, and she says, how are you doing with pain? And after three days of this, I really wasn't doing well. I don't think I was relaxing the way I know you now you're supposed to do during contractions. I was kind of gritting my teeth a little bit. I was having a, a hard time and she offered me an epidural. 
which was not on my birth plan, not something I really wanted, but I knew it was an option. And again, something I learned from this was if you don't want them to offer you, put that in writing so they don't offer you an epidural. But if you want one, then get one. <laughs> if you get to choose, this is your birth. I said yes. She, the um, the nurse said that I could get some sleep. This was right my third one, two, third night I was going on without sleeping. So she said the epidural will help my body relax. It might speed things up, and I might get some rest. And I was like, Yeah, give me give me the damn drugs. Like, okay. The anesthesiologist came in. A lot of people say like, Is it really scary to have that massive needle injected into your spinal cavity? Um, when you were contracting for that long and you were that tired, there's literally nothing that they could have done to me that, like, I would have said no to. <laughs> I was just like, whatever. Like, you just don't worry about that. It's just so – it's all relative. The first epidural is in. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to be able to sleep. I can't freaking wait. And it doesn't work. So there's a percentage of epidurals that fail. And they're a percentage of humans that just they don't work for. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm, this isn't even going to work. Like, I'm going to be that percentage of women that the epidural fails for. The anesthesiologist comes back in. He's like, oh, you're still in pain. You can still feel your legs. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Long story short, the whole process takes about four hours. And I get a second epidural. Yes, a whole second one. And it worked. It's like 9.30, 10.30 at night at this time. My lower half of my body goes numb. They insert a catheter, which I was terrified of, but it felt nothing. They inserted that balloon thing that I've been putting off the whole time. I didn't feel any of it. I was like, okay, you know what? So I surrender to this hospital induction and birth and pain medicine. I needed this break. <laughs> I really just needed to just relax finally. Okay, so they turn on the Pitocin. They're like, let's get this baby out of here. After a couple of hours, they notice Bridger's not doing well again. And they thought, well, maybe she's really dilated. So they check me and I'm five centimeters dilated. The Foley bulb, which is what that balloon thing is, falls out. That's a great sign, right? My cervix is opening. You have to get to 10 centimeters before the baby can come out. So I'm thinking it's a matter of hours, right? It is... 3 a.m. when they come in and check me and the midwife says, you know, Bridger's just, he's not doing well. His heart rate is decelerating with every contraction again. And we want to break your waters to speed things up to see if that will help. So I'm like, okay, again, like literally do what you have to do. They break my waters. They notice that he has pooped in the water, which is a, I don't know what percentage of women um, have this, but basically baby usually doesn't poop till after they're born, but if they're stressed, they just went through three days of labor. Sometimes they poop and it can cause infection if they inhale it. So it's not like the worst thing to happen, but it's something that they make note of and it helps inform the next decisions. So the fluid, the amniotic sac, which they punctured with like a little needle thing, all the fluid drips out onto the table into this like pad that soaks it up and there's poop in it. <laughs> Oh, Bridger. Um, and then she says, I'm going to put a little monitor on Bridger's head because I want to check his heart rate and I want to get a more accurate reading. So, you know, sometimes these belly heart rate monitors aren't that accurate and we want to make sure he's really okay. And if it's, if he's doing 
poorly, we want to be able to measure that more accurately. And I'd never heard of this before. But again, at this point, I'm just like, okay, I, I just... I have to trust that you're going to make the decisions that are the best for me, right? And the best for Bridger. And when someone tells you your baby's not doing well, I don't think there's anything that stands in the way of um, decisions that are going to benefit him. Like, yeah, do what you have to do. At this point, I felt like I had done every, everything, everything else, right? So she's like, all right, I'm going to go um, up there. <laughs> I'm going to feel for Bridger's head. And so she's, you know, up there. The, my cervix is dilated five centimeters, so she's feeling for baby. His head should be pushing down. She should be able to feel the top of his head, and then she's going to place this monitor thing. And she goes, huh, that's so strange. I feel his ear, or I feel his lip or something. I don't feel the top of his head, and he's really high up there. And she looks at the nurse and says some things in, like, nurse, uh, doctor, medical lingo, and she said something like posterior turn of the head thing, whatever. And she says, and she pulls her hand out and she says, okay, Natalie, <laughs> this is where I know shit was getting real. I'm going to go talk to the obstetrician on, on call because there is a really good chance that we won't be able to get Bridger out this way. Like as in Bridger's not coming out of your birth canal. He's not coming out of your vagina. And I said, so how would we get him out? And she said, you might need a C-section. And I'm just like bawling at this, crying. Like, it's scary when they tell you your baby's not in a good position. His head is turned in a way that he's going to get stuck. And it's terrifying. You're like, how did they not know this this whole time? Like, how did I get this far with them not knowing? Like, it's 2021. They couldn't have seen that or like done something about it. And she said, with his heart rate, he's in distress and his position, I just, I've never, I've actually never seen this more than one other time in the last 12 years. And the other nurse was like, yeah, I've never seen this before. And then the other midwife later told me she had only seen it once in six years. So next thing I know, Adam is putting on a hospital surgery gown we're gathering our belongings and they're wheeling us into op the operating room at 3.30 in the morning. And the anesthesiologist comes back and he ups the meds in the epidural to make sure I can't feel anything. And I'm shaking uncontrollably and I'm crying and I'm just, oh God, I'm getting emotional. Oh, it was just so scary. And so far from what I thought was going to happen, which again, I know that doesn't always matter. And you like, at the end of the day, you want a healthy baby and a healthy mom. You want to be able to walk out of that birthing place. But I just felt so, I just felt like everything that could have gone wrong had gone wrong. And I was scared and I was scared for Bridger's life and my life. And the next thing I know, I'm having the C-section. I'm holding Adam's arm just like so. I just can't even get over the feeling that I felt during that surgery because you are awake for it. This is another point in the story where I wish I had known more of my options for the types of things they can do for mama and baby. 
Um, again, that'll be an episode in itself. And they pull Bridger out of my abdomen. Eventually, <laughs> he was born uh, four six no four thirteen in the morning on Sunday. I had started this process on Thursday, right? Um, I was so drugged by this point because I was yelling to the anesthesiologist that I could feel everything. That this is a little heartbreaking to to share, but when they brought Bridger over to me, he was already all wrapped up and cleaned and had been touched by I don't know how many people, which again goes a little bit against the natural, like what you hear, they're going to place the baby on your chest. And he was incredibly bruised from his face being turned and contorted, almost like he was laying on his belly. He was, his chin was up and his head was to the side. He could not open his left eye. His lip was busted. It looked like he had gotten punched in the face. So his, his upper lip was touching his nose. So there was like no space between his nose and his lip. And he was purple. And he was puffy. And they leaned over before they handed him to us and said, to, you know, he's a little bruised, guys, like as a warning kind of. And the next couple hours of recovery are, are a complete blur. I could barely keep my eyes open. And I'm holding this baby who I didn't see be born. And I'm highly sedated. And I just, there's a video of me talking to Adam. And I just, it just, yeah. In some ways, that C-section saved our lives. I mean, in most ways, in all ways that I can think of, actually. And... I'm coming to terms with that, right? Like I'm I'm slowly as time goes on letting go of my perceived birth story or, or my ideal birth story and I'm coming to accept that I have a healthy child, I am healthy. It could always be worse. And all things considered, he had no spinal issues from his positioning, his face depuffed in 24 hours, although he had trouble latching, which is something you want the baby to do like right away because of his busted lip. We are still nursing eight months in. And so there are more positives to this story than negatives. However, I want to acknowledge my own trauma here and Adam's trauma for going through all that with me and Bridger's trauma and just Give myself a little bit of grace here because I had nightmares about my birth and the surgery for months afterwards and feel this sense of sadness that I didn't get what I wanted <laughs> and I didn't get to experience a birth, a vaginal birth, the way babies are intended to be born most babies, right? There are some outliers there. And I've really struggled with this and I struggle to share it because I don't want to scare anyone. And I want you to know that I am fine. I'm safe. Bridger is safe. I had great nurses. I had great postpartum care. I had great midwifery care for the most part. The OB I worked with was, was great. And 
I will have another baby again, hopefully someday. And I know that that birth story for second baby will be completely unique and it won't mean that I have to have another C-section. I, as far as I know, I'm an okay candidate for a VBAC or vaginal birth after cesarean. And I'm going to try again. And I'm, I'm okay. And I've worked with a postpartum therapist for the last couple of months to process the birth. I've shared it with friends and family. And I just want to hold space for anybody that's had any kind of birth trauma. It's very common. It's very sad that it is common. And I hear you. And I feel I feel for you because I understand how hard this has been for me and how hard this is for a lot of people. And there's some births that sound beautiful and there's some that sound traumatic and they all are, they all, I don't even know. It's okay. It will be okay. So, wow. Thank you for listening, for letting me share that story with you. It has really helped me to share it um, and help me process it. And I'm always here to listen to your birth story. I'm like a birth story nerd now. I always just want to know how it went down. And I, um, I honor you for listening and for... Yeah, just being open to to this. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm kind of lost. But that's it. I have a healthy, wonderful boy who I didn't bond with right away for reasons I already described. And it's taken me time to heal from that. But we're doing great, all things aside. And so I'll leave you with that. I, again, just thank you for creating that space and allowing me to share and for listening. And there will be more episodes to come. I'm going to talk more about things I wish I had done differently in my situation, um, how to create that perfect birth plan. And then Adam and I are going to do an episode about partner support because that literally got me through. It did. I could not have done that alone. I wouldn't have lasted that long. <laughs> um, so yeah, stay tuned for more and let me know if you like this episode, give us a review or just send me a note on Instagram, naturally nomadic with two T's. Thank you guys. Be well.